Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My entrepreneur guest today is Jonathan Satin, the founder and managing director of Tri Yoga. Jonathan, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's so wonderful to have you here and be doing this face-to-face at a social distance. But pleasure to have you here. I wonder if we could start by you kindly telling my audience a little bit about yourself. How far back do you want me to go? Well, all the way back to Blockbusters, maybe. How far, how far back can we go? Uh, well, I'm the uh, founder of, of Tri-Yoga, and, which is probably why you're interviewing me. And, uh, but I go back, I, I was a lawyer before that, and, um, and in about 1996, I gave up practicing law and decided, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was involved with a few uh, businesses. I was involved with Yo Sushi at the beginning, and my friend Simon was setting it up. I was involved with a company called Protocol Multimedia Talent Agency. Um, and then eventually I came up with the idea of Tri Yoga through a, uh, a slight sort of diversion by a company called Tribeca. Hmm. And I always like to start off the podcast for my audience to understand you know, who you are, how you perhaps measure success in life today. I, uh, that was a good question, by the way. So, Thank um, you. I, uh, I think it has, it depends on what part of my life you're talking about. So I was thinking about it. And I think, um, I think there's professional, I think there's personal, I think there's probably um, a sense of well-being, which may, I'm not sure about the word success with well-being and sort of how you feel as a human being and so on. So I think it has a lot of different uh, elements to it. I mean, success in business right now would be Tri-Yoga reopening and being successful and thriving. Uh, for me personally, it would be a sense of satisfaction that we've managed to reopen and uh, thrive again in helping people lead healthier lives. I think it's an interesting point you make about somehow the word success not sinking that well sometimes to well-being or, or health. There's a lot, there is a disconnect sometimes there. Yeah, I think maybe... Um, Satisfaction, maybe a, a word, or yeah, probably satisfaction, hmm. contentment. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, going back to your early years, you know, did, did you have a def- different definition of success when you were when you were a lawyer, for example? How did, how did you look at winning? Su- winning was it that simple? <laughs> um, no, I I, uh, I think there's a degree of winning, and uh, but I think there's a degree of sometimes probably in my early days a sense of mental satisfaction mm. when you find something or you learn something um, which wasn't about winning but it was about you know it probably was actually mm. and I think um, and probably success then probably had a, a big financial element to it mm. and, and at school was it I mean in my school it was very competitive sports was you know that's yeah. where I think we begin to learn that winning matters more than any, somehow as if it matters only and not the actual game itself but what was your education like was it was it similar yeah, very sport. So, I mean, it was competitive from the age of about uh, probably seven. And, uh, and it was competitive with loads of rules. I mean, weird rules, which sort of, in a way, uh, teaches you to break the rules. Mm. Like there'd be a quadrangle of grass. And if you were a senior, you could work, walk over the quadrangle. But if you weren't a senior, you couldn't. Mm. So, of course, when you were not a senior, you'd try and break the rules and walk across the grass and so on. Do you think that um, breaking the rules is good or bad? Uh, depends on my position. If I'm an employer, it's bad. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think the I think it um, it's mixed. 
think it's quite fitting for the times we live in now, isn't it? I think a lot of people find rules quite difficult to, to handle, right? It's uh, do I follow the rules or not? Yeah. Are the rules there to help me? I mean, we all know with the mask scenario, yes. you know, three months ago, it didn't matter if you wear a mask and now it's absolutely critical. So. I think if people explain the rules and, and, there's a, and there's a good reason for it that we can trust, then I'm probably okay with it. But I, I think, and I'm okay with it right now because I sort of have a sense that this is what we need to do to help people feel safe. Mm. I think that um, people need, we're getting a bit political here, but people need strong, clear guidance, a strong, clear strategy. It's probably the same in work to a degree without so much strong. And I think right now having clear rules, so in lockdown it was really simple because you could do this and you couldn't do that. Mm. I think as we come out of lockdown, then it gets a little bit more complicated because people aren't really sure, is it two metres, is it one metre, do I wear a mask, don't I wear a mask? If I'm standing behind a counter, I don't wear a mask, but if I'm standing in front of a counter, I do. Mm. I find that a little hard for me to, to get my head around. Mm. So I think um, there's a benefit in rules, like there's a benefit in discipline mm. that... Um, requires us to have a degree of trust in who's imposing it hmm. I, I think for my listeners out there you know a, a lot of the time entrepreneurship that those that are thinking of starting a business almost seems like it has no rules but actually that's not true right I mean in, a lot of the time you have to be very disciplined to your point you have to wake up self-motivate go out there and make things happen think ahead that takes quite a lot of discipline right yeah I, I was reflecting that um, when I first qualified as a lawyer I, I had no ambition to be a lawyer and I was in his practice, and then they offered me a partnership. And literally, um, I'd been trained from quite a young age when I was, when I was trained to be a lawyer. They, they, get, they paid us crap, basically, really, really poorly. But they gave you commission for bringing clients in. So from a very young age, I mean, not seven, but when I was about 21, 20, I was at this law firm in Hoban, they gave us money to bring in clients. So I became quite entrepreneurial then from the, I went to get clients and then I was in this practice in Chelsea when I qualified and uh, they offered me a partnership and I realized that I was bringing in quite a lot of clients to the practice and I said well yeah okay I'll buy a share of the partnership but I'm not paying for my clients and they said well everyone else has so this is how we do it and I literally set up my own practice within three weeks and I think there's a drive to when you do it. I think you're right, you have to have, even if you've got that sort of flexibility in your life, there's a discipline and a drive and a, and a like you'll get up and go to work at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday because you have to or you want to. And I think that is, I don't know if that's a natural instinct or not, I don't know. Mm. I think the whole concept of what you're talking about, there's a bit of a theme beginning. There's a breaking the rules there when it's necessary. So the law firm had this rule that you were going to pay for clients, right? And you, you saw that as an inappropriate rule. There's something in that, isn't there? The when to break the rules and when not to, back to the school days, you know? There's yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, when, you're a, when I was a lawyer, uh, a lot of times you'd be dealing with these, negotiating these contracts, and the people who were acting for the big guys would say, this is a normal clause, and we'd go... Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. And they would go, it's standard. And we go, yes, but it doesn't make any sense. How do I explain it to my client? And they go, well, you know, it's just a totally normal clause. And everyone else accepts it. And I'd say to them, well, if, I was a, if I was a lemming and I choose not to jump, jump off the cliff, is that okay? Because it's clearly a bad clause. And it was a very, so yeah, there was that desire to prove the rule wrong or the standard wrong, which I probably wouldn't want people to do to me, mm. right? But I, yeah, I think there was that, as I reflect on it, there was that sense of wanting to prove them wrong almost. Mm. I, th I think the sense of what you're saying, I think breaking the rules when people do it in a positive way, in other words, they make things better. I mean, I know in my businesses, yeah. I've had businesses that are doing really well and someone says, you're doing it wrong, Simon, and they, they go and do it differently and they succeed at it. You know, part of me in admires that i like that that type of rule breaking i guess when there's a rule there and let's say safety for the sake of a you know, more defined rule then yes you shouldn't break those rules because they're in place to protect you but some rules are there to be broken it's a cheesy line but but yeah, I true agree yeah, yeah. I agree and, if, and if the boss doesn't listen 
uh, to a rule that should be changed in a way they deserve to be disrupted is, is an argument, right? I think if you... I think we invite people at Triyoga to, to challenge us because it's important. And, I, and the sort of what I would say is you may find things that you think aren't working and I ask you if you see something to actually say something rather than go, it's not working. Mm-hmm. But ideally come up with a solution for a different way of doing it. Um, and I think that's a fair way of it. And sometimes we'll say to, to someone, look, we've been doing that for 15 years. This is why we do it. And I agree with you at some level, we should change it. But it's a bit sort of, you know, what we do. Right. And that's why, but I think you, you owe it to a degree most of the time to explain to people your reason behind why you've created this rule. Mm-hmm. And some of it, is gone and no, is no longer relevant, and we should be prepared to change that. Mm. But I think sometimes you must have had companies that you created where you have feelings about things, you know, a sensation or something you want to maintain, mm. which is not logical. Mm. But you know that it's inherent in what you've created that needs it needs to be there. Totally. Don't ask me for a, uh, an example. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally true. I think I think sometimes I, I find it particularly hard when clients will tell you to change a rule because you always want to listen to your clients, mm. but sometimes even the clients don't understand why the rule's there, right? I would just say I'm a super fan of Tri Yoga and, and regularly come here. Now you're open again, I'm gonna be coming back again here. And I and I think you get it right. I mean, no business is perfect, but but of course I do like the concept of people out there listening, knowing that there are rules that need to be broken sometimes and there are rules that are in place to protect you. That you should follow and I think that fine line as, as, as you become entrepreneur you learn that fine line right between listening to people kind of the Steve Jobs model which was like they don't know what they want I'm going to give it to them mm-hmm. and that oh, let's get client feedbacks Henry Ford used to say if I'd asked my customers what they want they would have said a faster horse right right so there's that whole concept of like you know you sometimes know better than the customer but they yeah, don't always that's a that's an interesting one yeah do you, do you think um, and we, we're touching on it a bit here but you know do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred and and, and going back to your kind of school days do, did you think you, you, you were your parents entrepreneurs was there was there a background there my father was a doctor and um he uh he actually his hobby was making films and he ended up changing his career and becoming an a uh, documentary filmmaker so you'd probably call that an entrepreneur um I would call it someone that's probably changed their career. I don't know. So um, I don't know whether that... But it was interesting. I, I changed my career about the same age as he changed his. History repeats itself in a way. And it, and it feels like quite a dramatic difference from the outset, you know, like a, from being a lawyer to being an entrepreneur to most people would see that as a dramatic difference. Although I think there's a lot of entrepreneurial uh, lawyers out there. But perceived difference, right? I guess being a doctor and jumping to a documentary filmmaker is also a big jump. How old were you when, when he made that? When he made that, I was uh, probably about uh, 12. Oh, big impact. The, the, your conscious years where you're really still absorbing it. Was it. Really, well, I don't know how conscious we were of it. I mean, uh, it was sort of... I mean, I don't know how he did it. He had three kids at private school. <laughs> I don't I've got one and I don't know how making a podcast show works. I know exactly what you mean. Free. Uh, I don't know what courage it must have taken. Mm. Uh, he died when he was quite young, so I never really had those sort of conversations with him. But I think he wanted to be a doctor and then he found his, his other calling was about making these films and a lot of them were about medical issues and educational films about medicine. So he obviously found his calling where he found a way he could impact more people than he would do by seeing a patient. Wow. I think that's um, quite ahead of his time, by, by the sounds of it. I mean, what year is that? I mean, it's... 1960-something. Right, so a doctor, which, frankly, is a very prestigious thing to have, even now, of course. I mean, we, we owe a lot to doctors, but looking back, that's a very prestigious role to go and become a documentary filmmaker. That's... A, that's, that's yeah, it's one of those things that I, was just, uh, I look at now and go, wow, that was really brave. Mm. And I think that um, he just found something he loved doing. Mm. Yeah, I, I also lost my father when uh, I was young. My father died when I was 15 years old, and it had a dramatic effect mm. on my life. Did, did your father's passing? He was, I was 20. Mm. And yeah, I would say that it, it impacted me very deeply. And not always 
so clearly at the time. Mm. But when I reflect upon myself when I was 19 or whatever I did, and when I was 21, 22, 23, I think it, it did impact me, yeah. Did, did it? Did, I mean, I always think that kind of back to listen, my listeners out there, you know, parent influence is such a big part of that is an entrepreneur born, born or bred piece, right? Yes. Do, do, I mean, do you think they're born or bred? And, and, and do you think that that, that that had an impact on you? I hate this question, right? Uh, <laughs> um, it's a hard question. It's I think, a really hard question. I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. And I think that, uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I, I asked the question because I'm trying to find out. And, I, and, I, and I, what I find out there in the world is a lot of people have a strong opinion one way or the other. And what's interesting is when we can have a debate about it, because I, I feel like my, my instinct is I was not meant to be an entrepreneur. Actually, I was meant to be a lawyer. That's what my parents made me think I should be because they were entrepreneurs. The last thing they wanted for me was a similar lifestyle, the highs and lows in their mind of that. They wanted a safer life for me. So they actually pushed me, you can say bred me, to be a lawyer. (laughs) But I rebelled. And when my father died, I rebelled. I rejected that idea and wanted to go out there and prove myself. So, So I feel like I was, ironically, I think I was probably born with some entrepreneurial ability and it was, they tried to breed it out of me. So uh, it's interesting because I uh, I have two older brothers. You have, you have yes, I have an older brother and two younger brothers. Okay, so I have two older brothers, and my father wanted one of his three sons to be a professional. And my two older brothers uh, didn't like school that much, and so I was going to be a doctor from the age of about seven or ten. I was going to be a doctor, and I ended up um, doing science A levels, which I didn't really enjoy. But I had a place at Guy's, hospital, Guy's Medical School to do medicine. And I, um, I rebelled. And I said, I'm not going to do it. And my father went absolutely berserk. And I, uh, my brothers tell the story, which I don't think is true, but this is what they say happened. I used to play drums very badly in a band. And apparently I had this deal with my dad. I had a year to make it in the music industry, otherwise I had to become a professional. I don't remember that bit, but there may be a reason why I don't remember it. And I, um, the deal I did was I had to be, I could be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, accountant. I think that was it. And so go Tinker Taylor, Soldier Sailor after like that. that. <laughs> and I didn't want to be a dentist. And I did, accountancy was boring in those days. Everyone, I think it's a Monty Python sketch around accountants. And so I said, there was a, there was a TV program called The Main Chance for this quite trendy lawyer in it. So I decided if push comes to the shove, I'd become a lawyer. And strangely enough, I didn't make it in the music business. And I uh, ended up somehow getting a place at law school. And suddenly you're on this career path. And I had no idea about my career path. And I was suddenly at law school. And I got my articles. And I was being trained. And I did my exams. And I passed them. And then I qualified, and then I got this job in Chelsea. And you're just on this career path. And with no, so the point about mentors and father figures, I had no one really guiding me, what do you really want to do? What would you really like to do, sort of question. And I was on this career path. And um, one of the people who influenced me um, came for dinner one night at my mother's house. Very interesting businessman, and he was talking about, he knew I was at law school, and he said to me, his big thing about lawyers is they never, have an, they never have an opinion. They always tell you the law, but they never give you an opinion. He said he'd want to go to a lawyer who gave an opinion. And I made a decision that when I qualified, I would give an opinion. I would actually say, this is what I think. I, you know, most, when you're at law school, when you do your exams, 70% of the marks are about knowing the law. 30% of it is about applying. So you, you actually don't need to apply it at all to actually qualify as a lawyer. So I made this decision to actually give opinions. And that's how I became, when I became a lawyer, that's one of my unique selling points, right? Not that we had them, was about actually being, saying to you, this is what I think. So uh, I don't know what the question was. And I don't know how I've got to this point. <laughs> there you go. No, I'm enjoying the story. Please carry on. I mean, it's, I, I think the whole process you're talking about there, for me, I, I, again, I was thinking about the listeners, that a lot of people fall into career uh, choices that they didn't make. Yeah. 
and and they sometimes end up being happy about that and that's cool and other times they're like hold on what am i doing here and i see people then spend the next 10 20 years in something they don't really enjoy because of the prestige the image i mean being a lawyer having your own law firm which is what you ended up doing i mean that's pretty prestigious right so how do you go from that to giving it up and starting you know a whole new genre of yoga experiences and try yoga um I think I always felt I should be doing something else, but I never knew what it was. And I, know, and I had no idea what it was. And like you say, you are on this career path. And I think um, things have to happen for you to make decisions. I think that this is my vision of it. I see we're all driving along a motorway. Normally, if you're a lawyer, it's in a Porsche in the fast lane. that's facetious, <laughs> but you know. And you're driving along and you don't see any road signs. And then what I realized for me was you start to see the signs. I don't mean like there's a thing in the sky, but you know, like there's, a, you know, there's it's like, there are these different exits you can take as a person. And I think that you can choose to stay on the road, but the, 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 it's a decision, a choice, rather than being an automatic. And I think what happened to me was I started practicing yoga. And I, um, in fact, I started practicing meditation firstly. When I was at law school, I decided I needed to be able to relax beyond playing football and tennis. I needed to find something that would help me relax. So I learned to meditate. Well, I went into the Learn to Meditate course, and then I learned to meditate, and everyone took the piss out of me in those days. And my not anymore, they're not. No, but those days they did. <laughs> and my football nickname was Guru. They gave you a T-shirt with Guru on the T-shirt. It was a bit of a piss take. There you go. And I think that, and then one day I went to a yoga class and I went to a one-on-one class with this woman. Um, It was a Saturday afternoon, I can still remember it, and I went to her flat in Hampstead and I did this yoga class. I'd never done a yoga class before. And I was lying on my back with my eyes closed and I could see a wall of mirrors. And I could see myself running, not looking in the mirror. And I was running, 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 not looking in the mirror. And I knew I had to stop and look in the mirror. And I knew I had to stop and see who I really am. And that was the beginning of my downfall. I'm joking, but that was the beginning <laughs> of the change. And that's, and I, and I started to, and then I started to practice yoga. And then I found a meditation teacher and I went to India. So I had this sort of dual life. I had the guy with the pinstripe suit, blah, 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 lawyer, whatever I was doing. And then I had this other part of my life where I was going to India and I was going to ashrams and meditating and chanting and learning about service. And I had this sort of, wasn't a split personality, but I just had these two things going on. And when I did that, my, that yoga class, that first yoga class, at that point, I used to smoke 40 cigarettes a day. I used to drink 14 mugs of coffee each day, each with three or four sugars. And I used to do other things as well. And within three months of that first class, I'd stopped all of them. Not like I must stop. They literally, I stopped. How old were you at that point? 12. No, I was, uh, 12, yeah. I was, 12 year old these yeah, days. Is, I was, I must be in my about 27, 28. Something like that. Hmm. Uh, No, 30. I was 30. And that started the process. I didn't suddenly stop being a lawyer, but it obviously started something in me of a desire to do something, but not knowing what it was. I didn't didn't have this, I must open a yoga center sort of thing at all. I just knew I, I wanted to do something different. And... The time when I got to the point of making my decision to stop practicing law, I'd been sort of headhunted into quite a larger, larger size practice. And I used to sit in the partners' meeting thinking, what am I doing here, sort of thing. I didn't feel I was with kindred spirits. And I, um, I got to the door of my office one day, and I thought, can I swear on this? Definitely. I thought, fuck it. I thought, Enough. And I wasn't depressed or anything. I just knew it was enough. And, I, and the senior partner was a great guy, a guy called Leonard Ross. 
um, who was much older than me, but he was an amazing guy. And we'd become friends, you know, while I'd been in his practice. And I went to see him. I said, look, Leonard, I've got to stop. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, I don't blame you. He said, I had to work a year's notice. And I, um, and I used that year to find out what the hell I wanted to do. Or I thought I'd use that year to find out what I wanted to do. And, um, but it started the process. But that, I remember that getting to that door and going, enough. I think a lot of people have mm. that feeling. I think uh, I also see a lot of people that don't actually make the change. Fair enough. Yeah, I think, I think so. What do you think was different? Was it the exposure you had to, was it the environment you grew up in? What, why, why, why do some people break free and some people don't? I mean, mo- there are a lot of people that might be listening now that are stuck on that road going fast and they almost are addicted to that system too, right? Literally addicted in some cases uh, to caffeine and, and, yeah. and smoking and, and other elements of, of that lifestyle. Do you think there was any one, was there, was, for example, um, your partner in life, did, did this person influence you? Was that, or um, your mother, for example? I mean, we, your father clearly was a big influence, but you know. Um, no, I don't know really. I, I mean, I don't remember her specifically saying anything to me about you should or shouldn't do this, darling. I was her favourite, you know. Of course, that's so, what she says to every one right. of you. But, uh. Yeah, that's true too. Thank you. And I really hurt. <laughs> well, the other two brothers are probably listening, so I'm defending them. They, they say it's true. Um, anyway, they used to call me the special one. But anyway. <laughs> Again, that sounds like gurus. So, so that's how they say it. It matters. Yeah. Right? So the special I one. Um, I suppose if, it, without being too, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, but if you feel love from your mum, you feel you you have that sense of worth and so on that you can go and do things. I don't know, but I um, I don't remember her saying anything to me. I just think I'd got to that point, and I I think as long as you make a a voluntary decision, I don't think there's anything wrong in staying on the road if you make that decision. Mm. And I think we're all different. There are all these different exits you can take, and I think that. No one's wrong. Mm. You know, we'd, we're lucky, but maybe they're lucky. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. We're lucky we made that decision. I feel, um, and I feel sort of blessed. Or, I do actually, I feel blessed, mm. actually, that I made that decision and that it was a sort of route. It wasn't a, like a simple route to go from here to there. There were all these things that happened you know, between handing my notice in and opening try yoga that one would call obstacles and I think that um, but I feel very grateful and blessed that I've been able to do this mm. grateful and blessed links quite nicely into this concept of luck how do you think luck plays a part so is it, I, yeah I, I um, you can call it luck I think that so this, this is an example when I was doing my last year in law um I did wonder a bit how I was going to survive financially after I left. And I was in, I think, month six or nine of my 12-month exit. And I was basically working three days a week or two days a week at that point. And this deal came into the office from one of my clients that um, basically uh, would have paid, basically was a pretty big deal. And I agree with the firm that I would do the deal, otherwise my clients wouldn't bring it to the practice. And that gave me enough money for a year. I don't call that luck. I mean, you might call it luck, but I call it good timing or being looked after, something flaky, whatever you want, right? But I do feel that sort of sense of being protected. I'll probably go and get run over now, but I... <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That sense I do know what you being mean sort of looked after and there were things that happened when we were opening try yoga that were just sort of wow that's really interesting like how did that happen and i the thing is i can't i must admit i wasn't totally relaxed when things were going a bit awry i didn't go don't worry or i might have said that to other people i was completely freaked out about things and then it's the sort of thing when i look back i go wow that's really interesting that happened so i call it maybe good fortune is a, for me a slightly different way of putting it. Hmm. Well, Buddha said that um, there's kind of everyone will have ten thousand hours of good luck and ten thousand hours of bad luck. 
so I guess my uh, add-on to that is there's an element of perspective to it it's kind of I think what you're touching on there your your view on on what's happened and stages and yeah I don't um god this sounds really you know but it's sort of it's all okay I mean like this thing we're going through now I mean six months ago you know you have an expectation where your life is going right and this thing happens. You were celebrating 20 years of, we were. of the business we just six just months ago. Yeah, so that's a fantastic milestone. We, we have a training day going today. And I, I had to stand up at the beginning. And I was saying it's really interesting. It was the last time we were all in this studio together. We were celebrating our 20th birthday. Uh, and that was our 20th birthday was the 19th of February. And, I, and we, we had our party on the 29th. And I said, wow, five months later, here we are doing this training about reopening and all this stuff. And I'm not complaining about what we're going through. It sounds weird, I know. But there's something that is incredibly intellectually challenging, this stuff about how do we deal with this, you know, going online, doing live stream, setting up cameras in studios, all this stuff. It's sort of interesting. I wouldn't recommend it. I mean... Sleep-wise, all those things, I would not recommend what we're going through, but there's something, you must know what I'm talking about. There's totally something do. about when it's going really awry, when you're, when you're negotiating with the bailiffs and not about, about not closing your business, and you get through it. There's something about it. I'm not tempting fate, God, you know. But I just think... There's it's some- actually what makes life interesting, isn't it, in a way? If oh, it, yeah, not too much. Yeah, you don't want it to be too interesting. Yeah, so I think... Um, so luck, yes, good fortune, yeah. Do you think being born into an entrepreneur, I mean, that's luck you can't control where you're born, for example. You're born into, into a family that's entrepreneurial in the right you know, environment that all encourages a, a better life, or do you, how do you feel luck, that part of luck plays out? Because my, my definition is that there should be a second element of luck in the dictionary. There's one element, which is the random, you cannot control it, let's say coronavirus. Yeah. This is no one's fault, it's happened, despite the conspiracy theories out there my view is it's no one's fault no one wanted this to happen and that's random luck but how you deal with it can define whether or not you are lucky going forward because of it yeah i totally agree with that i think how we deal with things is i mean that's why we're here in a way isn't it i mean how you've coped with adversity how you cope with your dad dying when you were 15 you either made it work or you didn't Mm. and um no one wishes bad luck or bad fortune on anyone and uh but this is how we grow. Mm. And otherwise it is, it's like training, it's like if you want to run the mile, you've got to train and go through a bit of pain to run the mile. If you want to run it quicker, you have to go through a bit more pain. And probably you've had this with your businesses, all 66 of them, right? But um, there is stuff that you go through, like you wouldn't wish on anyone. But, you know, this is how it is. And, and, Maybe we get better. I don't know if I have got better. When there is adversity, maybe I have got a little bit better at coping with it or appearing to cope with it. And, um, you know, when we were opening our original Tri Yoga, did you ever go to one in Primrose Hill? I didn't go, no. I, I, was, I arrived back in England three years ago, so oh, yeah. I, you just moved. Uh, yeah, nothing personal. And no, no, I don't take it personally. And um, so we had this thing, we were very precious about painting the name on the outside wall. We didn't want to have a Perspex sign-up. And you'll see when you come in here into Camden that the wall is painted on the wall. Anyway, we, we were desperate to find this guy, a guy to paint on the wall. And um, we're getting closer and closer to opening, and everyone's getting more and more fraught. And eventually, the Saturday, the week before we were opening, I found this sign writer, and this old-fashioned sign writer. And he turned up on a Saturday with his and his Morris van, he was, and his, all his paint and everything, and he climbed up his ladder, and we had this logo that he was painting on the wall, and I was so happy, right, because suddenly this thing that I was, create, I was helping create, the name was going to be, you know, it's like when you put your nameplate on the outside of a building, so I thought, this is it, and uh, so he gets up on his ladder, and I go away, and I come back um, about four o'clock in the afternoon, so this is in February, and uh, he's just finishing, and it's amazing as our logo or blob, as some people call it. And this is it. So I ring my girlfriend up. I said, I'm going to come and get you. You've got to see this. And I went, we lived in, I lived in Primrose Hill at the time. 
So there's a five minute drive there, picked her up, came back. As, as I was driving back, it started to rain a little. And so I drove in through the courtyard. It's a bit like here, you're driving to a courtyard. And the sign that was on the wall was melting down the wall. Right? It was literally melting down the wall. And I rang the guy up and said, Oi, right? He said, That's impossible. And I put the paint on the wall, it sets, it cannot melt. This happened twice. Twice it melted down the wall. And probably, maybe today I can laugh at it, but when it was happening, it was not funny. Right? I was really stressed right? and freaked out out of a purple wall and all this stuff. So adversity is probably a lot better in retrospect than when you're in it. But I think you're right. The way we deal with it, that's probably why we're here to a degree. And I think there's so many things in that story that I think my listeners can pick up on. First of all, when you see a successful business like Try Yoga and you look at where it is today and people might be like, wow, you know, I can't build something like that. They've got to remember at some point along the journey, you were caring about the sign outside the front and you were caring about the lock on the door at the front and you wanted to make sure the windows were clean. There's a million things that take uh, effort to make a business work that a lot of people sometimes overlook but the fact you care so much about the sign that's one thing i think some people don't realize how important that is to care about those details and then all the way through to like you say now it's a funny story but at the time it wasn't and i think anyone listening right now that's having a tough time and there's plenty of people in that position there will be a story out of it at the very least there's a story it doesn't stop i mean you're right it doesn't i think well for me maybe i'm you know lunatic but it doesn't that caring about that minutiae or that's a big thing but for me it was but caring about that is, is to me, what's important. You know, it sort of drives me. Like, I want to make sure that everything is perfect. That's probably a pain for everyone. I'm sorry. Mm. Right? But I really want to make sure when you come in, you're welcome, you're smiled at, we know your name. You know, I really want you to feel welcomed. I want you to feel this is your place. And it's a challenge as you grow something. You must have had this with your businesses as they grow. How do you get everyone to, to want to do that? Mm. How do you get everyone to want to make sure that when you walk in, when your people walked in, you're welcomed? Mm. And I think that is a challenge with growing a business. Um, when we started to grow Tri-Yoga, people said to me, you're going to lose your soul. I don't mean my soul, but you know, you'll lose the essence of who you are. And that was a big concern. And I said, look, I'd like to actually prove you wrong. I want to prove you wrong. I want you to, say to, to be able to say to you, we've made it better right, as we've grown, rather than actually, like there are businesses that you and I probably know that start off with a great integrity and drive and so on, that I won't name any that sort of lost it on the way. I was going to write down Pret and Pizza Express and people like that, but you're right, we won't name any, so that's okay. the best way to go. Because, you know, the people started them with a great intention, and I still have that same intention, and I think that it's a real challenge to be able to do that. I don't think we've done it as well as we could, to be really honest. I think there are things we do really well, but there are things we can improve. Mm. And but I'd like to... Um, I had this horrible master at school right, when I was at prep school, I won't name him, but he's in prison, actually. <laughs> well, that's good. You can name him. We can't get to you easily. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was a very unpleasant man. And, uh, and my prep school is a fantastic school, but he was the one unpleasant person in that school. And he, um, he said he was a real bully, too. And he said to me, when we were doing our common entrance, as it was in those days, you'll never pass that. I thought, fuck you. Probably not when I was 13. I probably thought something else. But I thought, fuck you. I'm going to prove you wrong. Right? And he, that has stuck with me, and I actually did well. But I have that desire, and I think you probably do too. To I had exactly the same thing, yeah. yeah. It's like you're never going to make anything of yourself. Yeah. Sort of. Actually, I feel like those bad experiences at the time, which are horrible experiences that stick yeah. with you, can also be the things that drive you. right? Yeah. And I think the other thing you're mentioning there that I want my audience to kind of grasp is this concept of frankly, scaling a business but keeping the core culture and essence alive because there is a feeling that a lot of businesses, as they scale, lose their essence, right? Mm. But I think perhaps, and I'm, I'm, this is more a question, 
Is it because often people expand for expand's sake as opposed to expand because the customers want it? So I, I, I feel, and I'm not just saying this because I'm sitting with you here today and I'm a big fan of, of Tri-Yoga, but I honestly think there's an energy in all the Tri-Yoga spaces that is hard to replicate, but you have replicated it. And I think it's around the, the purpose of the business, right? The, the genuine desire of the founder to create an experience for people when they walk in the door. But for, for a lot of people, it's like, how can we build a business to just get more people through the door? Yeah, that's a big issue because because money is involved. You have you know you you want your business to be financially successful. Your word success, right? So you, you know you want your business to be successful, and there are points on the road where you have to decide what is your what's driving you. And I think they can work hand in hand. Like at the beginning, you know, for me, yoga and money was a big issue. Right? Can you run a business that is delivering this amazing practice? Okay. and be in integrity. And uh, that's quite, I found that quite hard to sell off with, to sort of think, you know, is it okay? It wasn't profitable, so it was okay, but is it okay to be profitable? And I think that's a, that's a, a perpetual dilemma. Right? And, but thank you for saying what you said, by the way. That was really kind of you. And I think that is our desire, that when you come in, whichever tri-yoga you go to, it's funny when I say that now, but whichever one you go to, we want you to feel that. We want you to feel like you're walking in somewhere. That, um, do you know Matthew Williamson? No. So he is a very interesting, amazing clothes designer. And he was a friend of one of our investors, my original investors. And he came to look at our building in Primrosa when we were building it out. And we were going to have wooden floor and this, that, and the other. And he said, no, no, no. That's probably not how he said it. He said, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, you need to do like dark floor and reception and white walls, but one wall will be color. And then he said, when you go upstairs in the studios, you're going to have white floor, white walls, right? And you're going to have color on the windows. And, uh, and he said, and it was a brilliant sort of piece of advice. He said, by the time people come into that studio, they will know they're entering a sacred space. So the feeling when you take your shoes off, you put your shoes downstairs, and you walk along these, the, the floor is dark, and when you go upstairs and you walk into that studio, it's got white walls. Right? I mean, it's got windows, but it's got white walls. And it had this amazing sailcloth on the ceiling, which was only there to, to hide the crappy windows. Right? We didn't, it just had to hide these crappy skylights, so we had a sailcloth. And you were in this amazing space. And that's always been now how we design the buildings. We want people to feel it's a sort of decompression. You know, do you, do you dive? No. Neither do I. But I this is why it happens. Mm. You know, you have to come up out of deep water. You have to do it slowly. And then you, you, know, and then you, you recompress whatever they say you do. And the idea is you come in, you take your shoes off, and it's like you start to slow down. And you walk through the building, and by the time you get into the studio, when you walk into the yoga studio itself, there's a feeling. It has to start downstairs, right? And that's what we've tried to do, and we try to replicate that. You can't replicate the buildings that are all different, thank God. You don't want to replicate a bloody building. But you like to, the feeling to be that when you walk in, it's partly about the incense for me, but that's for me. <laughs> I know everyone doesn't, not everyone likes it, but I like that in a sense I like that smell we used to have it all over the building and then we've stopped because people didn't like it so much but we always have one burning downstairs and to me it's a sensory thing you know when you walk in or you walk down the courtyard you smell it hopefully you like it and it's not too hippy dippy for you and you walk in you take your shoes off that's you want people to feel they're slowing down mm. It reminds me, I lived in Hong Kong for a long time and we uh, used to go on holiday to either Thailand or Bali. Mm. And I used to always prefer Bali, but it was six hours for Bali and two hours for Thailand. So most people would go to Thailand. People asked me, why would you go to Bali? And I said, it was simply this. When I got to the airport, they had beautiful music playing in the background. Mm. In Thailand, it's hectic and there's noise. There's no beautiful... I don't feel relaxed when I arrive. And I think, you know, countries can learn from, mm. from your point that, that creating that feeling as soon as you arrive. I mean, I, I've always been, I don't know, it's maybe controversial, I'm interested. 
I, I always admired how Starbucks, for example, like them or not like them as a brand, but their staff always seem to like be quite personal. Mm. They've lost it a bit in Venice, but I feel like I always admired that brand for scaling. And I used to walk into a Starbucks talking maybe a few years ago now but you know they walk in and the staff would always know your name and oh, yes. oh what, are you, what are you having today Simon and you just have that feeling that there was a there was purpose there and I was quite fascinated with um, Howard Swartz who started the company and read all his books one of the things he said it wasn't about telling people to remember the customer's name it was about looking after your staff so that they wanted to remember the customer's name and I think a lot of people in business, and again, a lot of people listening have businesses and they're trying to figure out why they can't scale or why they're losing people or, you know, there's an element there. And I feel that with, with here. And I know I'm, 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 my listeners know I'm very honest with people. I, I'm not just saying uh, because you're sitting here, but I, I feel that your staff care. They actually want to create that experience for, for your people. That's very kind of you. I think they do care. I think that it is, uh, there's a tremendous, I think what people, personally, I think what people want, they want to feel connected and they want to be seen. I think we live in such a weird world that if you go in somewhere and they remember your name, it means you're recognised, it means you, they know who you are. And I think there's something quite wonderful in that. And some places, even when you go to a place and they remember your name, they don't really know who you are, but they remember your name, right? There's still something about that recognition. And I think we are, as a society, in need of connection. More now than ever. Yeah. Couldn't uh, agree more. So I think that um, we want people to feel a sense of connection. And I, that's, our, in a way, that's our job, is that when you come in, you feel that. And I know we don't always get it right. I just get it. We do. Well, we don't. Right? But our desire is that we get it absolutely spot on every time. You mentioned something earlier about having an investor. I think a lot of people dream of that. Um, right or wrong, and they wonder how to get investors for their business. Is there any insight there, any few? Um, when I first raised money for Try Yoga, because I was a lawyer, people believed that I knew what I was talking about. Right? It wasn't true, right? <laughs> but you had that air about you, right? That you knew what you were talking about. The other thing was I was very passionate about what we were creating. So I think that is, that's a big thing. Um, this is one of the things that happened. So I, I, I had some very good connections when I was a lawyer. And I, um, one of my friends had recently sold his company. Um, and I knew he was cash rich, as they would say. So I thought, well, I'd ask him. We only we raised, when we started Trioga, I raised half a million pounds in, in 1998. And so I, I, said, I sent the business plan to my mate and said, well, you know, maybe, whatever. He said, oh, you should meet... Um, you should meet our personal trainer. I thought, what the fuck? What's that about? And uh, I said, okay then. And I met this personal trainer, uh, who's a really nice guy. And uh, he said, oh, you should meet one of my clients. One of his clients was a guy called David Swenson, who was the chairman of Microsoft at the time. And he became my biggest single investor. So that learning for me was about, they're all, all those meetings are worthwhile. Like when we go to look for properties, you must have done this. You go and see all these properties that you know probably are going to be a waste of time, but you never know. You may be walking down the street and you'll see another property. There's a the right property. So it's a tip without being a guarantee that everything's worth following up. And as I said, he became our biggest single investor. So, yeah. I, I think, again, there's so many insights there from an experienced entrepreneur that I want people to pick up on. I mean, people do have this struggle with like, what's a waste of my time and what's not. And I think my view and what my translation of what you're saying is that sometimes you've got to do what looks like a waste of time to realise that it's not. And, and what you think wasn't going to be a waste of time often is. Yeah. And so it's that. I think you being know. Open know. Thing. And I, I mean, I learned a lot when I was doing the original fundraising. I knew very little. To, I, I think because you're a lawyer, people think you know what you're talking about. I mean, they, they do think that. And... We were, I was way out of my league and I remember going to a meeting with this guy and he said to me what's your IRR and I had no idea what he was talking about and I, and I was like oh I've got that back at the office so I got back to the well office done. and I rang up my account and said what the hell is IRR he said that's your internal rate of return or something I said oh and can you give me the number yes and, but then you learn in the next meeting you go yes our IRR is something or other and so I, I think it's sort of 
we're just like... Uh, well, no, think, no one can know everything as well. That's the other thing, isn't it? Like you know? blotting paper, you know. We have not people use it anymore, but, you know, where you soak up all this information people keep giving you, and then one day it comes in use. Mm. Yeah, I think... Um, as someone with a three-year-old child, I'm always very conscious that he's, he's absorbing stuff all the time. You've got to always be careful. A lot of people pick up accidental prejudices or mm. accidental misunderstandings about how the world works, right? Mm. Which is actually one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast show, because I want real entrepreneurs to tell their story, the truth, and how it worked out and how it play, played out. And I think because a lot of people have a misconception of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. They either see it as glamorous, which it certainly isn't, or they see it as incredibly hard and, and perhaps something they can't do, which is also not true, right? There's something in between is what you're kind of talking about there. But if you absorb enough, we're always learning, right? It's, it's yeah. that kind of idea. Yeah. Even now, you're 20 years into building this business and what you're saying is you're still learning. Yeah, and we're learning a lot now. Uh, diversity, inclusion, mm. um, equity. These are big things for us to learn now. Right. And I've realised how much I didn't know or how much... I need to unlearn, and it's quite um, sad in one, you know, in one respect. Mm. And um, so we're going through a whole program here to to address these issues to make sure that actually we know what we, you know, we actually behave in a way that is appropriate. Yeah. Well, I mean, I um, I had to leave England and live in Asia for twenty years to realise that my own mother, who listens to this podcast, I know, is slightly racist. You know, no one likes to call their mother racist, but you know, ultimately, she she is. And I didn't realise that because I grew up with her, just assumed it was normal that she had these opinions about different cultures. And it wasn't until I lived overseas that I realised, for example, you know, I lived in China. Mm. But because they're communists, somehow that meant that they were bad. But people weren't bad. Maybe that's a government system that's not compatible with our mindset around democracy. It doesn't mean the people have anything to do with it. So it's interesting how it all gets blurred up. And it takes a lot of courage to change, I think, around this subject you're talking about. Because it kind of go back to come back to your DNA, that zero to seven years, mm. that almost like part of your original programming. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's I hate to use the word... Interesting is not the right word. It is... Um, it's necessary. Mm, necessary. And true. I think we have to, as a society, make changes. And all this enormous thing we're going through with the pandemic and everything else that's going on at the same time. Um, I was writing a blog the other week and I used the word fertile and everyone laughed. I, they, said, they said, no, you can't use that. We're going to get pregnant. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it is, it's quite, it's a fertile time to change. And it, I don't recommend it as a comfort thing. But we, so we, for example, we had no online presence in classes before March the 26th. So we, when we saw COVID happening, well, sort of saw it happening, we made a decision that we were going to create an online program. So within a week of closing the centres, we had 45 online classes. We now have 108. And we then created an online uh, guest workshop program. And when we reopened, or if we have reopened now, whatever, right, we will be having all our physical classes will be live streamed. So I think there's something about being squeezed a bit, well, a lot. Right? Mm. You know, when you're going from income to no income, I mean, literally no income, uh, it forces you to do things quicker than you probably would have. Mm. So I think there's something about these times that we have to change, mm. or we have to learn. We'll make mistakes on the way, that's for sure. I, I feel that way about things like the theatre, for example. It, it, it seems, I love going to the theatre, it's such a wonderful experience, but it's expensive. I love the idea that everyone could go and see Wicked, for example, you know, and pay a fraction of what I had to pay to go and see the same. You know, everyone should have that experience, right? So the online world, in a way, gives that opportunity. And, and, and perhaps if the old avenue is cut off, then it's a good thing. Back to that, is it luck, bad luck or, yeah. or good luck? But it, but it equally, it's quite hard to change when, they, for example, I come to try yoga. It's hard to replicate this atmosphere in my front living room with my three-year-old climbing on my head. So um, there's it's always similar here. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's uh, fascinating. I, I could talk to you forever. Actually, I, I, I feel like um, you know your your story and your insights. I can unpack so many different elements of what you're talking about. But unfortunately, I only have you for an hour. I know. So, so I wanted to just kind of wrap up by by asking you this closing question, which is, if you went back to your younger self, maybe it's the lawyer. I don't know. You can tell us the age that you're going back to. But what would you tell that younger person? I think the worrying doesn't make any difference. Right? 
I think it's good to care, but worrying is a different matter. And I could still tell that to my older person, right? Mm. But I think the worrying is 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 um, not productive. The caring is productive, but the worrying is is not worth it. I always like the uh, story of someone that's going on a parachute jump, and the day before going on the parachute jump, they're worried about it all day, and they feel sick, and they. And then eventually they get up on the plane, they're still worried and nervous, and as they're about to jump, complete euphoria hits them and they're excited and they enjoy it. Yeah. But what was the point of all that stuff before? Well, they almost cancelled, almost did. Yeah. Kind of, that's, that's, that's what you're saying to your younger self, yeah, and I really like it. Well, um, thank you uh, so uh, much. Can I just say a couple of things? Of course. Because you had a question which I really liked, I can't remember what it was, about a book. Oh, yes, yes, that's and true. when I was going through these trials and tribulations about what I should and shouldn't do, I was uh, driving back from a meeting and I looked out the window and I was really confused about what I was going to do for a career. And I looked out the window and there was a name of a pub and it was called Perseverance Works. <laughs> and that's what I would call the book. Mm, I like it. Yeah, so, so my question, uh, <laughs> I, I sometimes send the questions ahead, as you guys know. Um, if you were to give yourself a, a book title, and what would it be? And Persever- Perseverance Works. What chapter are you on? Ooh. I'm probably mid, mid, mid-book. Mid-book, yeah. Because I think there's another thing. In this day and age, I think a lot of people can change careers at many times in their life. You, you've proven that. There's no, this is what I am, a lawyer, for the rest of my life. I think these days we live longer. I mean, there's probably a, a period in history where we'd be, be dead by 30. So, you know, you, you're having that realisation that being a lawyer wasn't for you anymore. That, you know, for, for, there was a period in history when that, you know, your life's over anyway. You're 30. Yeah. Don't live past 30. Now, nowadays, you know, with expectations, hopefully, of 80, 90, there's three or four, five, six, seven, eight careers you can have right there. So you might be uh, only a quarter of the way through. Does that make you feel tired? Yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm going to quickly uh, mention some of the things that I've taken away uh, from today. I, I like the earlier bit about um, breaking the rules, um, unless they're set by the government, maybe. Uh, it, 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 uh, it's standard, something you said earlier, it's standard um, is not true. There really is no standard and, and, and everything's flexible. Um, play drums badly yeah. I think why not yeah. and try it maybe it was your career maybe it's not but try it play them and then you know right? if you never play the drums then you never know still playing yeah still playing yeah. still bad no I'm really good now because <laughs> I've got a, uh, a digital drum kit oh okay well maybe we should put that in the theme tune of, the, of you know we could good, do, yeah. you put the, uh, I have the iPod with my Springsteen on it and right. then my drum headphones and I'm playing along with Springsteen I sound really good I'm sure you do with Springsteen supporting you so maybe we'll put the link in the bottom of the podcast and we our audience can uh, let us know no, what they think of no. this uh, this uh, drummer we have sitting with us today um, have an opinion I think that's uh, an important part of life I think that that was your unique selling point as a lawyer but I think having an opinion matters and and I think equally though I mean there's a lot of people out there of opinions uh, sometimes an appropriate opinion in the right environment aired uh, is, is important you mentioned that about how you let people give you feedback I think it's all well and good having an opinion but also being constructive about what the solution is which I think is really important a lot of people overlook that including customers sometimes they'll just tell you what they think but they don't give you any constructive way to actually make it happen so I think everyone wants to hear an opinion if there's a constructive way to deal with it um, I think you are a guru still today oh, yeah. so your brothers are right um, Leonardo Ross I want to make sure we Leonard don't Ross. we must check Leonard him Ross. check Leonard him out Ross. Leonard Ross he's, he's dead unfortunately but he was an amazing man yeah I think everyone needs uh, him in their life at one point he's Tessa Ross's father oh okay so uh, and Ben Ross's father right so he's a really he was a really amazing guy I think having someone in your life that kind of says do it you know supports yeah. you and those moments of a crossroads because he could have easily told you to stay being exactly what you were and yeah. but I love I love hearing that people have impacted your life in that way at that moment and so we all need someone uh, like Mr. Ross in our lives at some point look out for them I think you have to keep them close and uh, you know uh, don't worry basically I think that's that's my conclusion that's a good piece of advice yeah don't worry it will all work itself out in the end you'll either be dead or you won't but uh, but but in the end it will work itself out so thank you so much for sharing your story with us today oh, I'm really grateful thank you thank you for watching today's episode of the Good Luck Club I hope you enjoyed it if you did then I'd really appreciate it if you went to the links below 
gave Try Yoga a like on their social media pages, gave them a comment, or even popped in and have a cup of tea and check out what they've got going on. Green tea, of course. We try our very best every single week to bring you a show that teaches you one or two things. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to, and you take the time to listen to ours. So if there's any way we can make it better for you, please let us know. Enjoy your day. Thank you for listening.